From the Clark Ford Studio in Oxford, Mississippi, MVW Digital proudly presents the Oxford Exxon Podcast. I'd say thanks for tuning in, but why am I going to give you a round of applause for something you're supposed to do, to be frank? And now, here are your hosts, Chase Parm. And broadcast school has really paid off. And Neil McCready. I deserve to be on TV. Welcome to this edition of the Oxford Exxon Podcast. Chase Parm and Zach Berry here with you today. We've got a, an extended interview with the guys from Blue Delta. They are not making jeans right now. They're making masks instead, trying to uh, to help out in a way that they can during the COVID-19 uh, crisis. So we will talk to them about that, what's different for them, how they're uh, they're handling that this aspect of things for their company and more but uh, before we do that zach and i'll rattle on about some other topics as well before and after and the podcast is brought to you every single day by the oxford exxon highway 6 west in oxford take advantage of the speed pass plus app you know to use it because right now with everything going on you don't have to touch much of anything you can pay without doing that there at the oxford exxon also next door at the oxford crystal you can use the drive through and maybe you uh maybe you're a winner today april 27th they are drawing five different winners from every what a combo crystal location in the state of mississippi there's video of that on uh on twitter and on social media to see if maybe you uh you want if you put your name in a fishbowl at any of those locations again the oxford exxon highway 6 west in oxford again between the clark ford studio 662-257-1900 amory mississippi highway 25 south is the address Corey wants to be your truck guy wants to be your car guy and he will take care of you even right now with all the social distancing going on he will do his best to accommodate whatever needs you have if you are in the uh, the car buying business right now, so again six six two two five seven nineteen hundred. Zach, how's uh how's life treating you? We're gonna talk a little NFL draft. We'll talk whatever else today, but uh, it's 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 Monday as we're recording this. I think it will go up today at some point as well. And today's the first Monday where I've known what day of the week it is. I swear, the last three weeks, you could tell me it's Saturday, Tuesday, Thursday. Days don't matter right now, and that was cool for a little while. It's becoming disorienting as time is going on. I don't know if it's because of the the six-month-old that we have living with us now, but he keeps us on a pretty regimented schedule. Like It is it is by the book. I mean, it, and, it, and that's good. That's a good thing. If, for any of you out there listening, if you have a kid that stays on a schedule and absolutely sticks to it, I mean, that is a godsend. He is up by at least 7.30 in the morning every day. We eat breakfast. He goes down for a nap roughly two hours later, sleeps for an hour, two hours if it's a good one, and then up, lunch, two hours, nap, up, snack, hang out, dinner, in bed by 7. So I don't know if it's because of that that keeps me on my toes about what day it is. Um I, th- I think uh, posting the uh, the quarantine chicks threads pretty much every day helps me remember what day it is as well. Um, but uh, but yeah, I mean, I'm kind of with you though. There there's been some mornings when I've when I've gotten up and I thought it was a Sunday or or a Friday, and it's been you know a, a Tuesday or a or a Monday. So it's it's definitely catching up to me. I think. You like recruiting enough to still stay into it on a day-to-day level when essentially nothing is going on. I mean, I know that sounds terrible for business. Go to rebelgrove.com, subscribe to the Grove message board, participate <laughs> in the community. But let's be honest, there's not a ton happening right now 
and I, I, I mean this in a positive way. I've always told Neil, we've always talked about this, that certain people have to have kind of the recruiting gene, if you will. Like there has to be something where they just like it. Like there's something about it, the chase, the the, the expectations, kind of a, a little bit of like an old Cubs thing of, hey, wait till next year because this is whatever. And I, and I know it probably mm-hmm. fostered a little bit from when you're just a fan and you were in school or whatnot, but – why do you have it? What is it about recruiting that that, that you like so much? Because I don't. I mean, I'll be honest. Like, I kind of have this with college baseball, and I understand that recruiting is what drives our business in so many different ways. So I can do it. I'm, I'm more than capable. But I don't have that itch like a lot of people do. For me, I think it's it's an interesting challenge year to year to try to look at prospects Look at who Ole Miss is recruiting, and and not just Ole Miss, just kind of the landscape in general. For me, it's it's an intriguing task to try to find what fits each team and what fits each season. Uh, college football is so different now; it's just completely changed the way the game was played. Even you know, ten years ago, I mean, twenty ten. Uh, I mean that that year you had you know Cam Newton winning the Heisman. That was kind of when things started to shift. Uh, I guess you could tip your cap to Gus Malzahn, um, kind of his coaching tree, and and somebody like Rich Rodriguez, who was on staff last year. That was when things started to really shift when the zone read was implemented and everybody kind of adopted it. And so now, you know, quarterback is is such a unique position, and and I'm singling out quarterback here um, as I was putting the finishing touches on a content uh, series that will be going on RebelGrove.com. Uh, subscribe if you if you haven't already. Um, I was actually brief sidebar here. I was actually talking to Neil, and he was relaying to me the unbelievable uh, deal that you can get right now. It's through August first of this year, um, or excuse me, premium access free trial until August first. Um, the offer is valid through April thirtieth, so you need to get on it. Uh, promo code Rebels twenty twenty. So, um, but yeah, so you can read all that at uh, rebelgrove.com, but I've been taking a look. I'm going to look at each position. Started with quarterback, because that's the most important position. I think we can agree on that. Quarterback is is what makes the team go. I think that in the front seven. But, like, looking at quarterbacks now and, and trying to pick and choose how they fit is, is such a fun thing for me to do. I love looking at film and, and kind of... Because, you, you know, you look at a guy like... We're keeping it recent. JT Daniels, former mm-hmm. Southern Cal quarterback. I think he's in the mix at Ole Miss right now. He's got a lot I, of options. Sure. Yeah. ton of options. I, I do wholeheartedly think that Lane Kiffin is going to give him a look. But, I mean, he is your prototypical pro style, five-step drop, arm talent, make all the throws, eventually going to probably be in the NFL. He's got the makeup. But then you have – you know, in 2014, 2013, however many years he was there, a guy like Nick Marshall, who was a converted defensive back, and damn near took Auburn to a national title. So that, just at that one position, is so crazy to me how different football is now and how recruiting, you know, is looked at from a different lens because, you know, the, the, essentially the athlete position became a thing. I mean, rivals ranks people as an athlete now. Because you can, you know, last last class, you know, the guy like J.J. Pegues, some people liked him at tight end. Some people wanted him as a defensive tackle. Some people wanted him as a, you know, 3-4 outside linebacker. I mean, there's just so many different ways you can look at 
recruits and look at schemes and you know who fits where in this class that class so for me it's always just been how every year the crop of prospects is different and the the challenge of trying to find fits for not only Ole Miss but just you know looking at other people's classes and how they're making it work because you know some people still just kind of star chase and they're just hey we're just going to get as many elite guys as we can and you know that can work to a certain extent but the real um, elite recruiters the real elite evaluators are going to go out there and and they're going to find those 5.73 stars and look I know you got to you got to get the fives and the fours as evidence you know as the NFL draft showed you but um but yeah that that's for me just kind of the the intrigue is is how each season is is different and the you know the recruiting cycle is has been ramped up now with with December signing the 5.73 star is the most underrated prospect in in, in the industry because everybody hey he's just a three star he's just a three star well he's one tick from a four and i think a lot of times 5.73s are the guys where they know they're really good but they either haven't been to the camps, they haven't been scouted the way that maybe some other guys have been scouted. I mean, it's there's a lot of reasons for a guy ending up in that in that section, and you're still like one of the top 350 players in the country if you're a 5.7, you know, potentially a 5.73 mm-hmm. star. I think that's the one where people go, yeah, it's just this. When you go back and look through it, I would actually put 5.73s really up there against 5.84s from a product productivity level and more. And I, it's funny you said that about athletes because. This wasn't necessarily what I expected to talk about today, but whatever, for a little while. Um, do you think the athlete designation, because it's always you know such a thing of, hey, rank me as an athlete because it means this, or no, I want to be ranked as a corner, I want to be ranked as a wide receiver, I want to be ranked as this. Is it a designation that allows for flexibility, and is it a good thing, or in some ways is it a cop-out because they just can't figure out where to put guys? I think it honestly depends on the prospect, and – I, you know, I was talking to somebody the other day about the NFL draft when they there was a tweet that was going around with, you know, who was the most accurate recruiting service for the NFL draft, and two four seven was number one, ESPN was two, and Rivals was three, and there were some people that were just you know, kind of being funny and like, haha, like Rivals couldn't even beat ESPN, and you know, I I think it's it's kind of funny that that happened because, you know, with you mentioned going to camps and getting evaluated, I mean Rivals staff is just i mean the list is you know 10 pages long with how many people work for rivals and go to these camps and interview these prospects and and look at tape and 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 you know go to their schools interview them you know espn i jokingly told a bunch of people i was like you know espn has like three guys that cover recruiting for them and that's it so i always say you know don't even look at their rankings because they're usually just way off but as far as an athlete goes i, I think you can you can have a kid that might show up at a camp and they, you know, they break up in position groups and start going through drills. He might say, you know, oh, I'm an athlete. So where, where do you want me to start? And I don't know how they run the camps, but they might just say, well, what's your primary position? You just need to go there. Or they, you know, they might be cool with it and they say, all right, you can, you can bounce around wherever you want to go. Um, so I think it might be dictated by the player. And then it could also be dictated by the staff because there are some staffs out there that are going to be, they're, they're not going to give you any, uh, there's there's no slack that's going to be given for you know. Hey, we're recruiting you as as a tight end. You might play defensive end. You might like defense, but no, you're a tight end in our in our system. And if you don't like it, okay. I mean, there's some elite programs that that can afford to do that. Um, and then now there's 
kind of the philosophy that I operate under. If, if I was a coach or if I was on staff, hey, just sign them. Just get them to campus. Let them play what they want to play. And if it works out, awesome. If it doesn't, that's great because they're an athlete. And yeah, you're gonna kids want to play. Home. So you sort of you, – do you see this at quarterback a lot or maybe when an offense-defense thing where you give kids a year to figure it out themselves? To go, hey, yeah. I'm not as good as this cat, or I'm not as good as this dude, or no, I would be better served over here. Because I mean, look, there was a lot of reasons for this, but you know, that's like you know, Nick Brazzles what always sticks out to me because he wanted to be wide receiver, and he kind of wanted to play everywhere, and he wanted to be this two way guy or whatever. But I always thought his skill set was far best served to be a, a, a corner. I, I thought, I thought from a body standpoint, from an athletic standpoint, I thought he was an NFL corner. But mm-hmm. he didn't want to be listed as a corner. He wanted to be listed as a wide receiver. He wanted the ball in his hands. You know what I mean? So, there, there, yeah, there's Derek so many Jones, different things to it. Yeah, Derek yeah, Jones is some of the more baffling things from a career standpoint I've ever seen. But, yes, <laughs> that is uh, that is correct. Probably one of the the most underappreciated evenings for two guys, uh, Derek Jones and Chief Brown, both essentially shutting down Odell Beckham and Jarvis Landry that night when – Half the defense was out. That was impressive, but but yeah, I mean, I, I mean, a perfect example, and this ties in Lane Kiffin as well. Harrison Bryant, the Mackey Award winner that was at FAU under mm-hmm. Kiffin, got drafted by the Browns. I mean, on the draft they were talking about in high school, he played offensive tackle and defensive end. Yeah, just let him play, and Harrison kind of figured out. Okay, I'm not getting any bigger than 240, 245. I can't play lineman. <laughs> at the Power Five, Group of Five level, so I'm gonna take my athletic skill set. I'm gonna stay on offense, and I'm gonna be uh, a really athletic tight end. And I'm gonna put up a lot of numbers. So, yeah, you you, you kind of let kids figure it out that way. Um, but yeah, as far as the athlete thing, I don't think it's a cop out at all. I think it's just, you know, kids are bigger, stronger, faster these days, and you know, it's it's crazy to think that you can have a guy like JJ Pegues that's pushing three bills, but can go up in a one-on-one situation and out jump a corner. What's your take on him? Is it going to work? Is it going to be good? Um, I, I mean, I, I certainly think he's got a chance because, I mean, the, the frame is there and the athleticism is there. It's a matter of the type of scheme he's in because I don't think he can play interior. And I'm not so sure he is long enough to put a hand in the in the ground. And then when you're out there, you know, it's a, it's a three, four outside linebacker. I mean, you got to be able to move laterally. And I mean, he, he is athletic, but I don't know if he could be out there in space. So it, it's a strange thing for him to choose Auburn because they're one, they're going to be so loaded on defense with Kevin Steele and that staff recruiting Marcus Woodson and the rest of that that staff over there, but also on offense, it's not like if it doesn't work out, okay, move over to tight end. So, I mean, Gus is still running that same zone read heavy run scheme. So he's essentially just going to be a blocker as an H back. So unless they change and Gus starts really throwing it around to the tight end, it's kind of a weird, kind of a weird place for him if it doesn't work out defensively. So I'm not going to say he's not going to work, but there's a very small window and a very, very, very tight space that he's got to, you know, that that one little uh, sliver of, I guess, a role that he's got to carve out that he's really got to nail. So you mentioned the NFL draft. Ole Miss uh, goes 
Ofer as far as uh, drafted prospects. Several have uh, signed free agent deals. Good luck to those guys. I think a couple do have a chance of really making a roster there as they move forward. But Ole Miss goes uh, goes goes undrafted for the first time since 2013. Only the second or third time since uh, since the turn of the, of the of the century in 2000. Um, a year after AJ and DK were both undervalued, both probably went lower than, than they should have, especially if you had a redraft now, both guys would go much higher than they did a year ago. Ole Miss, you look at it and the NCAA accomplished what they wanted to. They depleted Ole Miss's roster. I think that's evidence as far as what, what, what happened in the draft. I think that obviously they did not recruit well enough. When you go back and look at those classes, they were hit by incident blade. There's Hugh Freeze involved in this. There's a lot of different things. I mean, there's tons of reasons for this. Is it a one-off? Does it show just where Ole Miss's talent level is? Where do you sort of fall on what happened to the Rebels over those three days? I think it was evident that the the NCAA, like you said, got what they wanted. They completely depleted a roster of impact guys that can not only – contribute at the power five level but can transition to the nfl i think that was the first thing that jumped out to me was you know man they there were some guys that that played really well for ole miss uh they weren't great they weren't all americans i mean outside of benito jones who if he's not hampered by injury i think he is absolutely a top five round pick um now i don't know if the hesitation was the injuries if it's you know he's kind of you know that that plug you know, interior defensive lineman, you know, three technique is, is kind of a, something that's dying, um, in the NFL with the, you know, the emergence of the spread offense and everybody's spreading everything out now. And it's more about speed. I don't know if it was that, um, or the injuries, but, you know, outside of Benito, who was a five star, it's, you didn't have a ton to really work with. I mean, I, I was talking to somebody, today and you know hey if the ncaa is not an issue if there's no ncaa investigation i mean just just looking at the surface here i think ole miss has a guy like jacob phillips get drafted really high i think somebody like christian fulton maybe ends up at ole miss both of those guys were at lsu patrick queen was another guy all three seriously considered going to ole miss jacob phillips was going to go to ole miss until the ncaa thing happened i firmly believe that um, I mean, hell, you had a guy like Davion Taylor who ended up going to Colorado and he gets drafted. I mean, that's, I don't think that was really NCAA related, just kind of didn't work out. Um, Mike McIntyre couldn't hold on to him, but I mean, that's, those are some significant names that could have been on your roster that could have been for you and, uh, it didn't work out. But, you know, I was talking to some, some friends the other day about everything and, you know, I had a, a good buddy of mine, uh, Bradley Blaylock. Shout out to him. He had, he had a really good theory, and I was actually talking to my dad on the phone about it. And we basically almost said an identical thing about the draft. And look, it sucks. Almost didn't have anybody drafted. The one school in the SEC that didn't have anybody drafted. Sure, it's 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 not fun to it's be a, that. It's a negative PR point, but yeah. Um, but look, Ole Miss is not by any means struggling to put people in the league they're not struggling to to get impact guys to the next level i mean you mentioned them right there aj brown and dk metcalf two of the most explosive receivers in the league right now as rookies um eli manning one of the greatest of all time probably going to be a first ballot hall of famer whatever i mean say what you want he 
won some Super Bowls. He was really good. You know, silly faces and and memes aside, he's an all-time great. You've got somebody that's in New York right now and Evan Ingram that's really blowing up. You've got the highest-paid offensive tackle in the league right now with Laramie Tunsil. Um, You've got mainstays like... Brandon Bolden, who's been in the league forever. I don't know if he's signed with anybody yet, but Dante Moncrief has been in the league for a while. Mike Wallace. I mean, ton of receivers that are still kicking around. Um, DJ Jones is out with the Niners, playing really well for that defense. So I don't think it's a problem with getting players to the league, but what I was talking to my dad about, what my buddy mentioned was, look, it, it, this is it sucks, but it's not like the end of the world. It's not this huge embarrassing failure because – Look, the, the NCAA is over. The NCAA investigation is over. And that staff, that whole regime is gone. You've got Lane Kiffin and a brand new staff that is easily the best staff that's ever been accumulated, you know, what's hired, whatever you want to say, in Oxford, without a doubt. And so that doesn't really factor in with how I'm looking at the future here because – Lane Kiffin and you know guys like Chris Partridge and Dion Bush and DJ Durkin. DJ Durkin. I mean, they. I, I started a thread on it over the weekend about all these guys that they've coached that were getting drafted. I mean, Michigan, I think, was tied for the second most people drafted as far as college teams go. Um, so it's, it like you said, it's it's not good for PR and it's not good for you know your you Morale, know everybody's at a water cooler will, right yeah. now but your friends that go to other schools that are poking fun at you. But look, it's it's not the end of the world. This, this brand new staff, it's there. That's what you need to be focused on is, look, we've got Lane Kiffin and his staff. They are more than accustomed to putting guys in the league. So that's that's kind of how I'm looking at it is it, it, it doesn't really concern me. It's not like nobody got drafted this year because of this staff. Yeah, not at all, and it's one of those deals, too, where the NFL is not blackballing Ole Miss. I mean, last year, people questioned AJ and DK because, frankly, they hated the Longo system and they hated the way that they perceived route running to be and some of the negatives and DK's straight line or you know his, his, his cone drills and things along those lines. Everybody found a way to overthink things. But it's not like, hey, Ole Miss is across the front of their chest, so we're not taking those guys. They they, they find athletes, they try to do the best they can, and they they, they draft mm-hmm. them from anywhere they're from. So no, I agree. I don't think it's, I don't think it's representative well, of a bigger problem as they uh, as they move forward. Yeah, and I think the first two rounds, especially first three, for the most part, I know they look for fits, and I know they look for what the team needs. But overall, most more times than not, it's a best available type scenario. And almost didn't have any of those players. Yeah, so what's so your back half of the draft anyway? Everything becomes a crapshoot. So it's, yeah, who knows? exactly. I mean, I mean, I mean, I mean my Saints took Tommy right. Stevens for God's sake. So um, <laughs> I'll get to that in a minute. But I mean, and they just got Jameis, right? Hey, I feel okay about that. We're gonna talk about that after Blue, after the Blue okay. Delta thing in a minute. Um, actually, we'll <laughs> go ahead. We'll do that now. We'll uh, go now to the Rafters Music and Food Hotline. This is Neil McCready speaking with uh, the guys from Blue Delta about the mask and things they are doing right now with their business. We'll have that, and then we'll be back with you. The Oxford Exxon Podcast is brought to you in part by Dead Soxy. If you're already a Dead Soxy customer, first, thank you. Secondly, here's all you have to do to uh, introduce more people to Dead Soxy and get free Dead Soxy stuff of your own. Uh, 
take your personal referral code from Dead Soxy, send it to your friends and family via email, text, or social. And uh, for every new customer you produce, uh, you'll both get $10. They get $10 in free socks. You get $10 in free socks. You can keep uh, earning freebie socks for life because there's no limit on how much you can earn. Just share your link and collect the rewards. People helping people as we all should, especially right now at Dead Soxy. It's deadsoxy.com. We're also brought to you by the Iron Horse Grill. It is located at 320 East Pearl Street. It's uh, the perfect place to enjoy lunch, dinner, or Sunday brunch. And it also uh, specializes in on-site large event catering for up to 250 people and off-site full catering services, especially beverage catering. So if you're planning a birthday party, a graduation celebration, a rehearsal dinner, or a wedding reception, you want to be able to enjoy the moment. And the Iron Horse Grill is your answer. It's a one-stop shop for beverage services for a 250- to 500-person wedding or even a 3,500-person gala. It's one of the largest beverage caterers in Mississippi. It can service the entire state. Call Sarah Black at 601-398-0151 for your catering needs. Knock that off your worry list and let the Iron Horse Grill make your event one that is memorable forever. We're also brought to you by Grenada Nissan. If you're in the market for a Nissan vehicle, Grenada Nissan's the place to go. They've got a complete selection of new and previously owned Nissan vehicles. Great lease deals as well. It's GrenadaNissanUSA.com. All you do when you go in and see Gene and Sandy is tell them you heard about Grenada Nissan on our podcast or at RebelGrove.com, and you'll get Rebel Savings on top of the already great deals at Grenada Nissan. Uh, we're also brought to you by Nest and Wild. Sleep better with a Nest and Wild mattress. Nest and Wild is a Mississippi-based mattress company making a high-quality mattress delivered right to your door. They make buying a new mattress easy. Every Nest and Wild mattress is one foot thick, giving you comfort and support that will last. A lot of online brands sell an 8-inch or 10-inch mattress with less support and durability, but not Nest and Wild. From the twin to the California king, every Nest and Wild mattress is one foot thick, 100% American-made, and the pricing is competitive when compared to the rest of the mattress companies. And in fact, we'll make it even better because we're going to give you a promo code that I'll tell you about in a bit. It's a no-risk decision. Nest and Wild believes in their product so much, they're offering a 99-night trial on every mattress. So try it out. Sleep on it for 99 nights. And if you don't like it, you can return it. Nestandwild.com. Order your mattress. Use the podcast code REBEL20. That's REBEL20. And get 20% off your purchase. And uh, your mattress will arrive at your door in three to five days. Joined on the Oxford Exxon podcast now by Blake Kokenauer, Tyler Sutliff of Blue Delta Jeans. Uh, we've been talking to a lot of people over the course of the last, I don't know, month and a half, two months almost now about how life has changed, businesses have changed, people have had to change, uh, online school, all that stuff. You guys at Blue Delta, first of all, thanks, thank you both for uh, spending some time with me. Yeah, thanks for having us on. Thank you, Neil. So let's let's talk about this. I mean, obviously, people know about Blue Delta jeans. You guys have uh, been killing it, making jeans over the last uh, several years. We've chronicled that story and and a, a handful of times. Uh, these days, obviously, you decided that uh, hey, we're not making jeans right now. We're gonna make uh, we're gonna make masks. Take me through kind of the 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 moment in time when you realized, hey, we're we're going to be impacted by this. I talked to Nick about this a little bit at one point. You guys knew you were going to be impacted about this, and then the decision to uh, to make masks, and what has that transition been like? 
Yeah, well, I mean, you talked about uh, building the brand of the last several years. The past 30 days have felt like several years in itself. But, I mean, so the kind of the genesis of the mask deal goes back to mid-March. It was actually March 12th. I was at my house in Austin. Uh, Josh, was, who's the CEO of Blue Delta, was at TPC Sawgrass. And, and Nick Weaver um, was at spring training with the Cubs. And we kind of, there was a lot of rumbling of, of things shutting down. And, and uh, he, eventually the TPC deal got shut down. And spring training with the Cubs, they canceled spring training. And, and, and things just weren't looking good. Uh, from a from a uh, perspective across the entire country, and so um, I spent that first Friday and Saturday kind of pacing the floors in Austin, and knew I had to get to Mississippi. Uh, got in my car on Sunday morning, and you know, on an eleven hour drive, kind of contemplated what's what uh, what's our plan going to be for a, a bespoke blue jean company in a in a COVID crisis, and so you know. Um, uh, there's been like three times in my professional career when I can honestly say I've been scared. One was on 9-11 when I saw the second plane fly into the tower uh, on my Merrill Lynch terminal. The second was kind of at the, the, the beginnings of the financial crisis in 2008. And the third was that Sunday drive I'd made from Austin to Tupelo in the midst of uh, the country shutting down. And so things happen for a reason. Um, I think I was probably just trying to burn nervous energy and talking to a lot of folks on that long drive and uh, spoke to my sister and brother-in-law who are surgeons in uh, Tyler, Texas. I think mainly to, to hopefully in, uh, to call them and have them say, hey, don't worry about this. It's just media overreaction. Uh, I didn't get that warm and fuzzy feeling. And, and uh, on top of that, they talked about what the uh, – uh, what the shortfall of supply looked like. Um, and, and so I called Nick up and I called Josh and I think, and, and asked him, Hey, sounds like the country's going to need masks. Can we sew masks? And I think Nick gave me some redneckism, like, you know, we can, sew, <laughs> we can sew wings on a gnat or something to that effect. And that was kind of the genesis of the idea. So you, you decide to do it. Take, it's one thing to talk about it. Then you guys have to go into the process of doing it. I've seen the cool videos on Twitter and stuff where you're making thousands of masks in 30 seconds and all of that. But I know there was there was a process that that had to get you to that place. Kind of kind of take me through a, through that a little bit. Yeah, I mean, so I, I got to Tupelo late Sunday evening. Um, we met with uh, Johnson Benjamin, who leads our design group, and said, "Hey, we we need to make a mask," and we kind of gave him that. And uh, Johnson put up, made a prototype. We put it on social media and uh, asked for help. And we're just overwhelmed by not only the people that were calling and asking, say, "Hey, we need masks," but the experts in their respective fields calling us and say, "How can we help?" One of the first guys that called was uh, uh, Austin. Stewart, um, he's an Ole Miss Law graduate and uh, a lawyer in in uh, Jackson, Mississippi, who helped us kind of navigate the regulation and paperwork necessary to get up, get this up and going. And so that call led to making masks. Um, we were connected with the guys at MEMA, um, is the Mississippi Emergency Management Association, and uh, from March fifteenth to 
March 29th, I think the date was, uh, we went from making zero mass. They did their first pickup of 10,000 on the 29th, and we're projecting we're going to make half a million in the month of May. That's just incredible. It really is. It's it's you know it was one of the fascinating things about the need you were telling me about, and I, I was talking to Nick Weaver, and I think we were just kind of chatting one day, and he said that one of the things that struck him, um, and I'm sure it struck you guys too, uh, he started getting calls from all over the place. Uh, I won't name the place because I don't want to out them or, or whatever, or make them look bad, but one one city basically called and said. We'll take as many as you have. Didn't even ask about cost, anything. Just there was a desperate uh, sense from them that, hey, this, you know, if this thing is as bad as some people are projecting it to be, as, as bad as some of the models project it to be, we're going to be in trouble. How many do you have? We'll take them all. And I mean, when you think about that, that's kind of, um, it's frightening a little bit. It's kind of heartbreaking a little bit. And it's, I don't know, it's just, um, people like like you guys had to step up and do it and and i don't know just it to me it's a kind of a remarkable story when when you see companies just sort of drop everything and say well we'll do our part because what else can we do well this is an indicator of how desperate the situation was uh is that city which shall go remain nameless i sent them a purchase agreement and it came out it came back to me signed without a, a, a markup from a lawyer which i think is the first time in my professional career that i've sent somebody a contract that a lawyer saw that didn't come back with a markup so that was my that was my leading indicator that that things were pretty desperate yeah the whole basically We'll take them. We'll figure out how to pay for them later. We'll 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 figure it out. But we got to have them. I mean, it's that's that is the true definition of of desperate. I mean, that's you know, and, and I don't mean that in a negative way. It's just it's desperation. People were not prepared for it. That's correct. So I know that that you guys uh, you also kind of help some other uh, factories in North Mississippi uh, do some of the same stuff. Kind of fill me in on some of that. Yeah, so, uh, you know, my role in Blue Delta regularly, I, I do direct sales, a lot of our traveling, but I also direct uh, the wholesale side of our business. You know, we've, I think we've spoken before on this podcast about, you know, we've got a, a large reach with, with several um, custom clothing companies all over the country and, and even, you know, abroad in London, Toronto, Vancouver. And um, so one natural role that I was able to fill in is, is not only did we have, um, you know, hospitals and municipalities reaching out to us about buying masks, but this area of the country, Northeast Mississippi, there's a lot of factors around here that, that make furniture and, and, and things of that type who, uh, with this COVID crisis coming in, they all of a sudden saw all of their purchase orders getting canceled. And so facing having to lay off their employees, they're looking for new things to make. And, and that was um, a pretty good response to our social media post was, was companies here in Tupelo um, and in the state of Mississippi in general reaching out and saying, hey, what can we do to help? Um, so we've got several groups here in, in Tupelo that are um, manufacturing um, our, our masks alongside of us. And one of the major ones here in the state is uh, MPIC, which is the Mississippi Prison Industries. Uh, they reached out to us and said, hey, you know, we've, we've got garment factories in our correctional facilities across the state. And we have guys that know how to sew and, and we'd like to put them, you know, put put that labor force to use. Um, so the uh, 
Bradley Lum, who's a, a Ole Miss alum, another Ole Miss alum coming through here, uh, reached out and we got the ball rolling on that. And uh, I, Neil, last time you and I spoke, I was driving back uh, from the South Mississippi Correctional Institution, which is down in, in Leakesville on the Alabama border. Uh, they've got about 35 folks in that facility down there sewing masks. They're pumping out about 10,000 a day. Um, so, you know, this is this is a um, interesting situation because it's not just us in our factory here in Tupelo doing it. We've got people all over the state raising their hands and, and, and wanting to help. And I was actually just doing the math on it here before we hopped on with, with all of our subcontractors that we've got rolling right now. We've actually got over 100 people in the state of Mississippi making masks in this project. Um, so it obviously helps with volume, but it, it speaks to the, you know, the spirit of what we're doing. So I get this all the time. People say, hey, when when do we get back to normal? What do you think? And so the question kind of to you guys, how long do you continue to make masks? At what point do you uh, get back into the transition of doing what has made you famous, which is making blue jeans? We're making jeans today. We're making. We've got a. We've got a, a smaller line that's making jeans. We've got customers who have uh, purchased jeans uh, from us, either direct or through an event. And so we are busy making those jeans and and, and meeting those obligations and and look forward to the world turning back on so we can can uh, put some more of that backlog in. I, um, you know, I, I have. I think I have no idea how long the need or the short shortfall of. Uh, PPE is going to last. You see the market normalizing a bit, um, but our plan is at least through August, um, because what's happening from a market standpoint is that the frontline um, first responders, hospitals are going to restock and then overstock. Same thing with the state agencies, um, and then and then people who never thought about buying masks before companies um restaurants you name it they've been dormant but they're just starting to come back online and realizing oh my gosh we got to have masks for all these people that are going to come back to work where do we get them so while while our focus in the first 30 days was on at kind of the state and the hospital level we're still focused there but also um you know companies are are calling us up saying my people are coming back to work um we need masks um so that's we anticipate that we're, we'll we'll be making jeans and making masks and whatever widgets we need to support the infrastructure of the state and country um, for the foreseeable future. I mean, I think one thing that we've learned as a country through all this is that uh, hey, we we probably need to repatriate some manufacturing, and uh, we're lucky where we're situated. Blue Blue Delta is situated is kind of in the heart of the furniture mecca, which means that. Anything that needs to be cut and sewn, we've got the infrastructure and talent here in a 30-mile radius to do it. And I also think, you guys correct me if I'm wrong, Blake, you've been you're in Ohio a lot. Tyler, you're in Texas. Uh, also, you know, all over the country, and you guys travel a lot. We'll talk about that in a minute, too. I, I do think sort of moving forward when, as the country, quote, reopens, and maybe I'm... I think on the paranoid scale about getting it, I'm probably sort of in the middle. If one, hey, I couldn't care less, and ten, oh my God, I'm terrified, I'm probably a four. Uh, but I'll, I think I'm going to wear a mask for a while, <clears throat> even if I'm just kind of if I go to the grocery store in August, and unless there's a vaccine or something, I'm probably going to put a mask on to walk through Kroger. I mean, I've always, 
I've always put headphones in anyway. I'm not exactly uh, Mr. Social in the grocery store, so this is kind of an excuse to even be more of that. But, but I mean, I think I think you're going to see. I don't I don't think there's going to be just this immediate turn the lights back on and we go back to quote normal right away. I, I just I don't think that's realistic. No, it's you know it's hard to predict. Tyler mentioned the the market normalizing, and and you know what we're seeing is that um, state institutions, governments are are largely starting to kind of get a trickle in of of normal supply of masks and and just protective equipment in general. Um, but one thing that we're starting to see a lot, you know, now five or six weeks into this project, whatever we are, is we're getting a lot of calls from from banks, from insurance offices, from from just small businesses like that who, you know, when we do reopen our doors and, and customers are coming back into our lobby or coming into the grocery store, what are we going to do with those people? Because it, like you mentioned, it's, um, you know, it's looking like we're a good ways out from having a widespread vaccinations. And so there's got to be a gap to fill in that meantime, which is a, a question I don't think anybody's answered so far. <laughs> Um, what about for you guys? Just personally, I'm curious how how how's this impacted the way you you are when you when you get out in public, when you go to the store, when you go to that kind of thing. Is it made you more? Are, are you, do you have more trepidation? Or are you are you pretty calm about it? I'm, I'm pretty calm about it. I mean, the first the first three weeks of this project, I was stuck uh, uh, in my kid's playroom, um, and so I was itching to get out. And so, you know, we're we're here in a factory. Um, we had the folks from Relias Healthcare and Tupelo come, and you know help us set up the factory how it needed to be from a social distancing and, and a, uh, a safety standpoint. But, you know, it, 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 I think when you're working and, and you're in a factory all day, you know, you, you kind of become a little bit numb to what's happening on the, uh, in the outside world. At least that's my perspective. Both of you travel a lot. Blake, I know you travel, man, you travel a bunch. You, you travel, I don't know, three quarters of the time, maybe more than that. When, when you're out uh, on the road, you go to events, you guys are talking about spring training and, and all of the things that you go to golf events and, and uh, concerts and, and all sorts of different things that you do to, to uh, take care of clients when you get booked for events and stuff. What's uh, what's life look like uh, for you post COVID? How long in your opinion before you're kind of back on the road like that? Uh, if you could answer that question for me, I'd be really appreciative, Neil. Um, but you know, it'll it'll be something that I think, um, you know, like I mentioned a minute ago, we'll we'll societally we'll figure out in time. Um, you know, I, I was reading a thing the other night. I was talking about in, in parts of China that are starting to open back up and get to normal, um, you know, normal day to day life. You go into a restaurant and they've got dividers up like you're taking a standardized test at, at restaurants, um, you know, stuff like that, where we're going to have to figure it out. And, and, you know, that is something that we've begun having conversations about because, um, you know, we, we do events where, you know, not a month and a half ago, we were at the, the Arnold Palmer Invitational in Orlando and, you know, we measured 260 some odd people in the course of two days. So that's a lot of shaking hands. That's a lot of, um, you know, being in a, a not uh, safe distance from people. Um, so we'll figure that out in time. Uh, you know, we do have some some technologies coming that I think will help solve that problem. Some ways that we can get people measured um, without having to physically do the measuring. And that, that's something that we'll be happy to talk about here in the near future. But for now, um, you know, we may be measuring people and, and putting a mask on them and a mask on us before we do it. 
I mean, I'm asking this for a friend. Certainly, this does not apply to me because I've been, you know, out in the driveway just working out like a beast. But for the <laughs> for the for the people, like for my friend here who may may have put on 10, 15 pounds over the course of of the pandemic or more, um, just just how flexible are Blue Delta jeans, and what can they do if they maybe need a little inch? Uh, well, you know, I mean, we, uh, we do have some, some stretch content built into every gene. So I always like to tell people you can go about 10 pounds up or down and they should still fit you pretty well. So if you get, uh, if you get feeling a little tight, you may want to, uh, you know, take a lap around the neighborhood at night or something like that. But if, uh, you know, if you need something from us, as always, you know, like Tyler said, we're, we're still doing genes on a little bit smaller scale than usual. So give us a call. We'll be happy to help. Blake, this has impacted your uh, some of your, your, your. You like to be a foodie. You like to try out new places and all the places you go. You're not uh, you're not getting to do that right now. How's that impacted your uh, your? I guess your your restaurant life, your your food content, your, that kind of thing. <laughs> uh, you know, we've been we've been working six days a week here in the factory. Um, you know, doing twelve to fourteen hours a day. So I've eaten a lot of peanut butter and jelly sandwiches lately. Um, you know, it's not uh, not normal normal times but uh i uh like you mentioned i'm i'm up in columbus ohio now um and and came back down to mississippi to help with this project and was pretty disappointed to see some of the uh local uh, establishments in oxford that have uh closed for the time being but i've been been patronizing what i can and uh you know firing up the grill otherwise well the other thing that it's impacted i mean you know you put restaurants but you also had a wedding coming up I did. It's impacted. So maybe that's, at least for the purposes of talking to Courtney, we, we should flip priorities there. So yeah, it impacted your wedding first and then your foodieism. <laughs> yeah, I think Tyler's right. I'd probably get in trouble if I didn't uh, didn't at least mention. Yeah, I was, I was supposed to be getting married over in Scotland on May 9th, and that is uh, that is gone by the wayside for the time <laughs> being. So yeah. it's uh, this has been a, a pretty poorly timed uh, uh, occurrence for uh for myself personally but you know we'll, we'll fight on i'm staying healthy for now courtney is as well so that's that's all that matters what is the have you have you uh readjusted plans are you going to do something different smaller and have a party later or are you going to push the entire wedding back that's the plan uh we're, we're pretty stubborn so we we picked a date and we're going to stick with it so we're we're having a little little thing uh with with the immediate family on uh, on may 9th and then we'll we'll throw a big shindig uh, you know, at a time that is socially acceptable to do so. Take a break in the show to tell you about Community Mortgage located in Oxford, Memphis, Soto County, and Chattanooga. Underwriting and processing is done in Memphis, so you're getting local underwriting and understand your market. A leader in condo financing in Oxford and the flow down option where you can lock in the current rate, but if rates go down before you close, you get the lower rate. 662-234-2704 or J-L-O-W-E at communitymtg.com. Also brought to you by G&M Pharmacy on South Lamar in Oxford, also Tyson Drugs on the Square in Holly Springs. Both those locations are open for regular business hours. Tyson's is utilizing a walk-up window, and GM is offering curbside service there in Oxford. Both stores are dedicated to local delivery and still able to deliver same day as well. 662-236-2222. The podcast brought to you by Visit Oxford. Visit OxfordMS.com is the website. Click the very top so you have to support Oxford during COVID-19. You can see a list of all retailers, restaurants with curbside with delivery options to uh, help you out there if you need that list. Also, ways to support hospitality workers who are out of jobs right now 
in Oxford between Tupe Roulette and some other options that you have. Again, visit OxfordMS.com. Podcast also brought to you by Special Orthopedic Group. They are open in Tupelo and Oxford. You can skip the ER for urgent ortho-related injuries at both locations. They're offering, offering virtual health telemedicine. Patients have direct access to all SOG physicians and nurse practitioners. Patients have 24-hour access to appointments at 662-767-4200 or SOGMS.com. No referral is needed. Walk-ins are welcome. And then last but not least, we're brought to you by In-House Interior and Design, 662-681-6241. You can call. You can text. They are available for you. I talked to Nikki this week. They've been picking up more clients because people are home right now. They're seeing things around their house they want to change. They want to fix up. They offer new client gifts. They offer dorm room appointments whenever that does uh, come with discounts as well. So you can find out more, text or call 662-681-6241. I think that's – I know no one's going to go back to doing it that way. No one's going to do it this way from now on. But I can't tell you how many times I've thought about, like, our wedding, which was 20-something years ago now. But I don't even remember a lot of it. You know, it was so busy leading up to it, and we had stuff going on. And and, and I don't even remember a lot of it. And frankly, I think in many ways that's the best way to do it is have the, have a, have the wedding be a, a small kind of an intimate event and then – after things have settled down, throw the big party. Neil, your check will be in the mail after this interview is over. Thank you. <laughs> hey, I didn't even know one was coming, so that's good. Um, all right. <laughs> you guys, uh, before all of this happened, one of the big topics of conversation, I can remember when we did the show, I think it was in September, we uh, we came down to Tupelo to, to the factory, and we did a show there, and I stole a Chris Bryant jersey, and uh, we, we were talking about the Ryder Cup. You guys had uh, become the official gene of the Ryder Cup. I know no one's thinking about golf and stuff like that right now, but it will. It, it, golf's going to come back. The Ryder Cup's going to happen. Where does where does that kind of stand right now? Um, well, so so the original plan was that uh, we were going to be at the PGA Championship in what, what month was that? Uh, May, I believe so. Yeah, and we were going to measure the top twenty five or thirty golfers, and then when the the Ryder Cup. Ch- team was picked we would make jeans for the 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 12 members of the team and and the four captains so um talking to the pga last week they have they have moved uh the pga championship to uh an august date they're still planning on having it at harding park they will not be doing measurements on course um and so we're going to play that by ear a little bit for now the um uh, the Ryder Cup is still on as planned, but one, if, if I've learned one thing um, through all this, it is really hard in this environment to plan out past seven days. Um, you know, if, if the, the Ryder Cup takes place in September of 2020, that's great. We'll, we'll measure the top 12 golfers in the U.S. and, and, and be it in Kohler. If not, um, we will say we're the official Gene of the Ryder Cup for another 365 days, and and put uh, put jeans on the top 12 golfers in September of 2021. So, however that shakes out um, with the PGA, it sounds like the plan is to still have the Ryder Cup as planned. But we've learned to be very flexible. You know, speaking of of, of the Ryder Cup and the PGA Tour and all those things, I don't know about you guys, but. I've realized in the last six or seven weeks, I have people that ask me all the time, um, how much do you miss sports? And it's like, well, I mean, I miss sports, obviously, 
but I miss kind of the the background of sports. I miss sports being in the background. Like when I'm in here on a Sunday, I always do ten weekend thoughts on Sunday, and I'm it's it's a three or four hour process, sometimes longer. And a lot of times I would distract myself with or, or kind of give myself something in the background. I turn a baseball game on or a basketball game on, put it on mute. Turn an NFL game, turn the volume way down, and just kind of work. And that was my background. I've really missed having that in the background. How much I know you guys, and I asked this because you guys have built so much of your of your reputation initially at least so much of your business initially at least kind of off some of your relationships in the in the pro sports world how much of you both individually just kind of caught yourself missing sports yeah this this whole um <clears throat> you know coronavirus wave came came across at a really interesting time for us um the the last week and a half or so of february and just right at the beginning of march we uh were in florida uh for for spring training there and then uh we were about to shift over and go to arizona for spring training and uh nick made it out to to scottsdale he saw the cubs and then i think it was that afternoon that that the uh you know the mlb the nhl nba all put out their joint statement you know closing the club houses which which shut us out and then you know of course the season was canceled shortly thereafter so that was was very unfortunate we love that time of year and it's it's a fun time of year for us but you know we're very fortunate our our clients are, are great people. Um, talking jeans with them is not the only excuse to, to give them a text or give them a call. So we're keeping up those relationships. Those guys will always be there, and, and we'll get to bounce back once once it's safe to do so. But, uh, you know, on a more personal front, I, I've found that it's a lot easier to go to bed early at night when there's no sports on to keep you up. I'm, I'm, uh, I'm an unapologetic uh, capitalists first and sports fans second. So, you know, I would have loved uh, spring training and and the golf, the summer golf season had gone on as planned. But um, I am uh, I'm placing a lot of hope that we see some sort of college football in the fall, late fall, early spring, wherever it comes. But I think that's uh, I think that's important for us here at Blue Delta. I think it's important for, I mean, it's it's big in the southeast. So whether it's a you know September one kick or or you know March one kick, we're just I think we're real excited to see football come back online yeah you know we're taping this on a on a friday around midday and it, the nfl draft day one was last night day two is is today by the time people hear this the draft will be over and people will have seen um the the, the third and fourth installments of uh of, of the espn documentary on the the 97 98 bulls it's it's fascinating to see the just kind of the numbers that have come in on a doc and look it was michael jordan i get it he he was great and and that was a, that team when they were at their peak was they were they were a show they were the greatest show on earth in many ways and then the nfl draft is always big but to see the kind of some of the initial numbers that have come in it just shows you how big a part of of our culture sports is and you know i mean i know that because i work in it you guys know it because you're around it but still it's it's such a big part of beyond just fandom for people it's such a big part of, of just the daily culture of of americana it's it's been interesting to to me and you know us all being in the factory every day together we obviously have a lot of conversation about it but you know sports in general whether it be collegiate or professional it kind of seemed to be the leading indicator of the the coming wave of of the crisis and and it seems to me as well that sports are the you know the the front edge of 
judging when we're all going to be able to get back together as a society. So yeah, to your, your to your point, Neil, it's it's been weird not having it, but it is interesting how you know the thing that people are the, seem to be the very most concerned about is you know when am I going to get to go back into Vaught Hemingway uh, again and you know watch some football. Yeah, there will be a level of appreciation for it for for everyone involved. That whenever that is, like Tyler was saying, if it's September, if it's November, if it's March. Whenever it is, when people can get back into uh, into stadiums and arenas and things like that, it's going to be a while before people just take that for granted and just bitch about the officials. People are going to walk in and kind of breathe it in for a minute. You know what I mean? I, I, I don't think there's any question about that. I'd be so happy for an 11 a.m. kickoff right now. <laughs> That's, I've, I've, I've said this for a while. No sport trader is going to bitch about a nighttime kickoff for a long time, and no fan's going to bitch about an 11 a.m. kickoff for a long time. For the very first time, we're all going to be on the same page. Uh, before this, sport riders would just we just prayed for 11 a.m. kicks, and fans hated us for it. And fans prayed for 8:15 p.m. kicks and we hated them for it and and no one could ever understand why and i think now we all sort of we're on the we're, we're going to be on the same page for the first time in a long time i agree i'd watch an 11 o'clock jefferson pilot game uh in a heartbeat right now so for both of you i'm curious both of you have uh, a, a lot of you've had a lot of interactions with sports with sports figures that kind of thing since uh, Blue Delta has has gotten going. Uh, what's what's kind of your favorite one? What's the one that sort of sticks out in your head? Oh man, um, this is a, a very minuscule thing, and and I may be the only person out there who takes you know humor in it. But I remember here, um, I guess it was last MLB season. Um, I was up in Chicago doing doing some stuff with some clients and. Uh, the Cubs just so happened to be in town, so I called up some of the guys, and and you know they asked us to to come and set up at the clubhouse, and the the tunnels, the the locker rooms there for uh, for the Cubs. There's a uh, a laundry room, and then there's a little area where they they let folks set up, and then it leads just down the hall to the locker room, and uh, there's a little uh, barber shop right there, basically where guys can get their haircuts before games. And uh, John Lester had his uh, had his two sons in that afternoon and he was getting their haircuts uh chris bryant comes down we talked for a few minutes then he goes into the barbershop and chris bryant proceeded to sit for probably 30 or 45 minutes just waiting while uh john lester's kids got their haircut and uh you know i, I just always think back on that and, and find a good laugh thinking that the you know making 13 14 million dollars a year whatever he makes starting shortstop for the cubs and he's sitting uh or third baseman sitting there just waiting on some kids to get the haircut in his own locker room that like it's just a small moment but there's things that you see behind the scenes that nobody else sees that that stuff always cracks me up more than anything else i i think mine was uh you know early on in my involvement with uh with blue delta um Jimmy Sexton had us in his suite at the NFL Combine to be his uh, uh, his gift for coaches and, and clients. And I I had never really seen Jimmy. I certainly never met him. I guess I had this impression that it was going to be a combination of Jerry Maguire and the Wizard of Oz, and you know. <laughs> And, and that's probably what what most athletic directors think. But for us, um, it was it was cool for me. It's a name I'd heard, um, and that's kind of the business of sports. Um, but it was cool to see Jimmy get excited about you know giving custom jeans to these power coaches in the NFL and the SEC. Um, 
and and so it was great to meet him. It was great to see him excited about our product, and then you know engaging all these other people uh, in professional sports that you see on Saturday or Sunday, um, who eventually became great gene clients. You guys have also. Uh, taking advantage of your location you talk about being there in tupelo and having an having a, a store in oxford you obviously have relationships with ole miss with mississippi state i know that uh, nick had talked to some people at mississippi state back at the uh, sort of the beginning of this how much has that i don't know been a benefit how much has that helped you guys the, the relationships with with the two sec schools in the state yeah, it's been huge for us. I mean, we're we're just about as middle of the road as you can be between between Starkville and Oxford, um, and and most of the folks that are in our factory um, are graduates of one of those those two schools. Um, so yeah, you mentioned we early on in, in this project, Mississippi State was kind enough to do testing on our materials for us um, to to give us an idea of what level of effectiveness um, it does have. They did that, you know, out of the goodness of their hearts, which has been amazing. But uh, Johnson Benjamin, who's our chief designer officer he is a graduate of Mississippi State um, Josh and Nick are on the board uh, for the uh, fashion design school over at, at Starkville and and we have quite a few employees um, I guess three now that are all graduates of that program so a lot of our in-shop people um are are just you know 45 minutes down the road from from where they were educated and and where they learned to do what they do for us here and flipping obviously over to to Ole Miss um Tyler's a graduate myself a graduate Nick is um and and one thing that has been monumentally helpful on this current project is uh AJ Davidson who who works for us he's a, a graduate of the Center for Manufacturing Excellence um there in Oxford and the CME is is all about teaching people how to do lean manufacturing how to make stuff as efficient or how to make factories as efficient as possible and when this project started um aj went in the back he counted our machines he looked at the feed rails he looked where everything was set up and and he was the one who you know led the charge on reorganizing our factory to be uh as efficient as possible as socially distanced as possible and and make it to where um you know everything ran as smoothly as possible so um you know obviously everyone in this shop we've got a little bickering back and forth that we can do around sporting events and, and all of that, but um, the the two the two schools have put a lot of very well educated people um, in, into our business and, and helped us be what we are and do what we do. Yeah. And if you ask me, I'd say the Ole Miss graduates banded together to save the world. That's the narrative that I'm gonna. <laughs> that's the narrative that I'm gonna push. You guys have spent. You, you talk about all the time that you've spent together there during this during this time. Um, has, has it made you closer? Has it made you want to kill each other? Or a little bit of both. Blake, why don't you answer that question? Um, I've been here for two weeks, and Blake's probably looking at the the clock, saying, "When is he going back to Texas?" Um, no, I mean we we have a a team that we spend a lot of time together, whether it's here in our shop in Tupelo or, or on the road. Um, so it is fun as as someone who's primarily out you know selling jeans meeting people it's fun to come back and, and see our um you know our, our in-house people uh, doing what they do uh, and and so that is nice to see but um you know we've we've had a lot of conversations about stuff we're watching on netflix we've eaten a lot of hardy's biscuits uh the coffee machines burnt up a couple times but Otherwise, we're doing pretty well around here. We learned when each other caught their first buzz in high school. That's true. Yeah. Uh, a lot of uh, a lot of questions around the uh, counting table. Yeah. <laughs> what what are, what have you streamed? What did you watch? Tiger King? Have you watched uh, a, a Thousand Fires Everywhere? What are you, What are you watching? 
Yeah, everybody's watched Tiger King. Uh, the the third season of Ozark's been a hot hot topic here lately. Um, and then movies. So I'm, you know, I I'm how old am I now? Forty three. And Blake, you're you twenty six. Twenty six. Yeah. So I'm trying to get these guys uh, uh, to watch really classic movies like Road Trip, The Hangover. Uh, the Hangover is a classic. It is a classic. Okay. Yeah. <laughs> I've never heard it described as a classic. It is a hell of a movie. Yeah. Anyways, Tyler's trying to get us to watch black and white films, and we're trying to educate him about stuff that's going on these days. So Laura's trying to get the girls to watch like Sixteen Candles and Pretty in Pink and uh, stuff like that, and, and they just look at her like, "No way. There's just there's just no chance." This is when you realize that just the kind of the generation gap that that that, that there is between you and your kids. Although we officially hit the place yesterday in the uh, in the pandemic, where you know, Cam- uh, Campbell, our oldest, is a freshman in college, and and I mean I'm not naive. I know that when she goes to the parties, she probably partakes a little. And I was like, "Look, do you want me to get you something? I mean, we can have it here at the house. What do, what do you drink?" And she looks at me like, "Is this a trick question?" And <laughs> so, you know, like we're there, so you know you can't drive, but it's it's all uh, it's it's all just kind of different. So I'm. I got to go back to something you said, Tyler. I didn't. I did not know this about you. You were in New York when uh, when nine eleven happened. No, no, no. I was working for Merrill Lynch, and uh, I was I was watching my terminal. Oh, uh, I was actually in Memphis, and and you know, in the in the top right hand corner of my terminal was CNBC that you had on all all the time, and um, you know, I remember that's just one of those seminal moments in in your career yeah. where you know you remember remember exactly when it happened. Um, you know, the this thing was. I, I'll always remember it, obviously, uh, but it just felt like kind of a gradual thing, um, and and I think post COVID will feel like a gradual thing as well. Um, but it'll it'll certainly be seared into my memory, and I know Blake's and my kids and everybody involved here. Sure, I've told my kids. I'm sure you have too. This is something that when we're all long gone, they'll they'll be telling their grandkids about it. Their grandkids will ask about 2020, about coronavirus about covid and they look at you like really and you're like yeah i mean in the same way that it's been what 20 years now and and we're still i don't know fascinated is the right word we remember everything about 9 11 we remember everything about that morning about that day about the subsequent days the moment that that you realized it was happening that's what i i i kind of did have a seminal moment with it with uh with covid because Ole miss was playing georgia in the sec tournament on that wednesday night and I was going to go, as you guys know, Ole Miss had a really disappointing season, and there was really no, there was nothing on the line for Ole Miss in that game. They weren't going to a tournament. The NIT, none of that was going to happen. And I was only going to go to Nashville because the locker rooms would be open, and there were a handful of guys on that team that I'd be able to talk to that I needed to talk to. Because if I didn't talk to them after that game, I wasn't going to get to talk to them for for weeks or months or maybe ever. Because I knew there was going to be some defections, the roster was going to flip over a good bit. Because that's what happens when teams have bad seasons. And uh, I got a call. I was three quarters of the way to Nashville, and I got a call that said, "Hey, uh, they just announced they're going to close the locker rooms. You're not going to have any locker room access." And something told me, "Turn around, go home," which was crazy. I was an hour away, and and to be honest, I almost went in because my favorite liquor store is in Nashville, and I was going to go stock up. But I was like, nope, I'm just going to turn around. And I went, I drove back, and so I was at home. I was sitting in this spot right here watching Ole Miss and Georgia, and they went to the half. 
And um, Georgia was in command of that game, and so I was in no hurry to get back to the Ole Miss game. And so I flipped over on NBA League Pass to Oklahoma City, Utah, in Oklahoma City because I wanted to watch some of that game. And right as it was about to start, of course, they stopped it. We subsequently found out about Rudy Gobert and, and the Jazz. But in that moment, when they stopped that game, I'll, I'll, two things crossed my mind immediately. One, I, I went into the kitchen where the rest of my family was, and I said, I said, the sports world just stopped. It just stopped, and everything else is going to stop too. We, we, is, this is this is a, a big moment. And then the second thing that I thought was everything you were planning on writing uh, about Georgia and Ole Miss, about the SEC tournament, about this season, is no longer relevant. Really, everything has to be about what happens now. And I had a column that was kind of already written, and I posted it. But then I immediately started thinking, you got to got to move forward, kind of like what you guys did, where you recognized immediately that hey we we're going to have to at least for a little while change what we do and, and it's that you're right that's the stuff that we're going to remember for a long time yep for sure well listen guys i really uh appreciate your time with this very much it, and congratulations on what you've done i know that uh, i speak for a lot of people when i say it's really been admirable and it's been cool to see guys like you all that we've been partners with step up and uh, do things for uh, not just the medical people, but but for everybody. That uh, I think people will remember how Blue Delta uh, stepped up for a long time. Well, thank you, Neil. We do appreciate it. Appreciate you having us on, Blake. Thank Tyler, you, thanks so much. Y'all have a great weekend. Talk to you soon. I hope. Yeah, you as well. Bye bye. The Oxford Exxon Podcast is also brought to you by Pinnacle Trust. Pinnacle Trust. Based in Madison, Mississippi, they've got clients in more than twenty states, advisors in multiple states as well. Founded in 1997, Pinnacle Trust provides detailed, specialized investment management, financial planning, retirement planning for individuals and businesses, and much more. At Pinnacle Trust, investing is treated like a commodity. Decisions are made using objective information and research, not emotions. So regardless of your level of wealth, Pinnacle Trust will sit down with you, listen to your goals, study your expenses, and put forth a comprehensive, detailed financial and retirement plan built just for you. It's Pintrust.com, P-I-N-N-Trust.com. Mentioned you heard about Pinnacle Trust on the podcast. You get 10% off your first year's fees. We're also brought to you by John Edwards of Regency Travel Incorporated in Memphis. When this is all over, everyone is going to want to get away. They're going to want to get out of town, get out of their homes. They're going to want to go on a vacation. And you want to book one that will create a lifetime of unique memories. And that's where John comes in. He's part of Virtuoso. It's a worldwide network of travel partners. That allows John to supply his clients with added values and unique benefits that are simply not available to other travelers. All you do is you give him a call, you give him an email, and uh, you give him some parameters, you give him a budget, and uh, he'll give you options. You don't have to live in or near Memphis to take advantage of his services, and uh, he's great at what he does. He'll take great care of you. 901-494-3387 or send him an email at jedwards at regencytravel.net. First-time clients can save $50 off their first booked trip just by telling John you heard about Regency Travel on the podcast. We're also brought to you by Oxford University Bank, OUB, locally owned and operated right here in Oxford. When you deposit money at OUB, that money and the vast majority of the bank's profits go right back into the Oxford community. OUB gives you the comfort of home, all the benefits the big mega banks provide, all the technology and products you can want, all with a personal touch. OUB offers its customers the absolute best cash checking account. It's called Casasa. And with Casasa, OUB will pay customers 2.5% interest on their balances up to $50,000 and refund ATM fees nationwide. 
They also have a commercial checking account now paying 1% interest. As long as you keep $10,000 in the account, it comes with fully interactive online banking. To learn more, go to liveoxfordbankoxford.com or call 662-234-6668. OUB is FDIC insured. And we're brought to you by Bluff City Advisory Group. They're dedicated to building the future you desire. Founded in Memphis in 2019, their team is comprised of established and seasoned financial experts who came together to serve individuals and families of their beloved hometown. The firm is built on decades of wealth management experience, and they've seen it all. Their financial advisors have a reputation for professional excellence, and their clients rely on their high level of confidence and integrity. So whether you need guidance on developing a financial plan, creating a customized executive benefits program for your business, or preparing a detailed asset allocation analysis, Bluff City Advisory will provide forward-thinking and cost-effective investment strategies customized to uniquely fit each client. 901 365-3447 or email Ben, that's B-E-N, at BluffCityAdvisory.com. And we're brought to you by Whitney McNutt of Tommy Morgan Incorporated Realtors, serving you for all your real estate needs in Oxford and Tupelo. Whitney sells condos, land, commercial, and residential family homes, 662-567-2573 or 662-842-3844. We're back with this week's Ask an Ortho segment with Specialty Orthopedic. They are open in Tupelo and Oxford. You can skip the ER for urgent ortho-related injuries at both locations. They're also offering virtual health telemedicine. Patients have direct access to SOG physicians and nurse practitioners. 24-hour access to appointments at 662-767-4200 or SOGMS.com. Taylor Mathis, kind enough to join us this week. And uh, Taylor, with uh, with all the changes, how's it uh, how's it been going so far? Uh, it's a crazy time. It really is. Um, we're trying to weather this storm best we can. We think within the next few weeks we'll be able to resume not really business as usual, but at least get, um, a little more of the routine orthopedic care, taking, uh, people taking care of orthopedic problems. Uh, we've been very limited for a while just for, uh, the risk of transmission of more disease but it's been a it's been a really really interesting time let me say that for sure you're in you're in sports medicine how has that sort of changed what even your day-to-day is because i mean obviously it's it's not exactly the same as it would be if we were if we were, if we were a little more active right now is right well there there aren't any sports yeah one um so our typical injuries we'd be seeing uh with acl tears or meniscus tears or shoulder injuries from athletics are gone um now a lot of what we see even in quote unquote sports medicine is non sports related mm-hmm. problems. So people are still falling down and people are still throwing the ball with their kids and doing things to get themselves injured. A lot of four wheeler injuries and things where people have been outside doing a lot more stuff other than work these days. And so we're still seeing injuries. Um, it's just from a, uh, not as much from actual sporting events. So, um, that's uh, that's a little bit different. Yeah, and it's even kind of affected what what we're getting question wise questions wise every week because you know the thought is, hey, we would have been in the middle of baseball season when a guy does this, let's talk about this this week or basketball or whatnot. Instead, right. what seems like the, the the theme and it continues today is people are stuck at home, they're trying to get outside, they're being more active, maybe they're being a little overactive mm-hmm. compared to uh, things in the past, and they're hurting themselves. So that's uh, yeah, that's sort of what is uh, what what has been going on in this week. Uh, the focus of that on shin 
splints, on stress fractures, which actually does have a little bit of a uh, a, a sports background to it. There's a few years ago where Ole Miss really struggled with shin splints in baseball. I mean, it would seem like half the team had over had overuse from a uh, from from shin splints, and then the wow. next year they changed uh, strength coaches. They kind of tra- changed and. They figured out some ways to avoid that, some ways to uh, to to kind of knock out that overuse. But just from a from a base level standpoint, what's going on with the, with a shin splint, and then how it kind of becomes a stress fracture? Yeah, so um, those present very similarly, um, and it's leg pain usually in people that are runners. Um, the uh, <clears throat> shin splints are from the muscular attachments on the tibia, which is the shin bone. Uh, the large bone in the lower leg and that attachment gets inflamed and irritated You get tiny little tears in the muscle and the muscular attachments and it causes pain it can be in the front of the leg or in the kind of the inside and back part of the leg in all the muscle groups in the lower leg um usually that responds to rest um anti-inflammatory medicines icing stretching and physical therapy uh, very, very rarely um, you, you would pursue an operation for that. Um, but typically, you can uh, really alleviate that by a gradual increase in your training. So one reason people are probably writing in about this right now is because they went from maybe running once a week or a couple times a month to two or three times a week, and they've increased their activity level significantly in a short amount of time. Um, when seasons start, you know, guys get back into baseball, for instance, you know, they went from running some and working out to all of a sudden they're running foul poles every day. Uh, and, and those acute increases in activity are a lot of times what lead to shin splints. Um, so a, a gradual return is a, uh, uh, really critical part there. What happens if it does increase into a much worse situation? Is this because you just do not give it rest and you end up making it so bad that you do run into some other injuries? Yeah. Um, it, it can, really, it's, it, that's more of a – those don't really turn into stress fractures. Okay. Um, the, uh, they, can just, they just get worse. Okay. You know, they, they get to the point where it you know, hurts you quicker, uh, it's more debilitating, and it can affect your ability to perform. Uh, stress fractures really are for a very similar cause. A lot of times it's an, an increase in activity from a prior, uh, prior activity level. The, this actually is a crack in the bone. Okay. So it's not like you had a car wreck and your bone is broken in two, but it's more of just a crack and there's a lot of bruising and swelling in the bone and that causes a lot of pain. Um, these are very painful. These generally get uh, get worse during activity, whereas a shin splint actually will, you know, hurt at the beginning, but then it'll get a little better, and then it'll hurt after, it'll hurt with normal activities, but during activity, a lot of times the shin splint gets better, but a stress fracture, it usually doesn't, it usually gets worse. Um, uh, they can rarely develop into uh, a complete fracture where the bone actually, you know, cracks all the way through and you can't walk on it. Uh, that's very rare. Um, but they usually do involve the tibia, which is the big bone in the lower leg. Um, and they're also treated with rest and then a gradual return back to activity based on pain. Um, the, they, they do sometimes require surgery. Um, the, 
especially guys who are coming up on a season um, or just your uh, non-athlete who has a, a, a fracture where you can really see a crack on the x-ray because you would worry that that would progress on to an actual broken bone that would require surgery. So you can treat that before it breaks by putting a rod down the bone and, um, and, and that typically fixes it. Something you mentioned. Uh, there's another. Go ahead, sorry. Go ahead. Yeah, finish, go ahead. Um, we'll finish on that. I was going to move on to uh, the other the, the one last quick topic. Sure. Yeah, I, I think I think that's where I was going to. You, I know it's rare, yeah. but you had mentioned yesterday that there are the potential to confuse this with uh, compartment syndrome. Right. Right. So um, exertional compartment syndrome is what would act more like a stress fracture or uh, shin splints. The muscles in the leg or muscles everywhere are covered in a tissue and kind of enclosed into a compartment. And when you exercise, um, you know, you can look in the mirror afterwards and your muscles look swollen and they do that everywhere. <clears throat> and if that, uh, that covering around the muscles gets too tight because the swelling in the muscles gets too great and that compartment doesn't have any stretch to it, then you can get what is called an exertional compartment syndrome. When you exert yourself, the pressure in this compartment goes up to the point that the blood flow through the small blood vessels gets cut off. And so that cuts off blood supply to the muscle, blood supply to the nerves. You can get numbness in your legs uh, and a lot of muscle pain. And this is um, a lot of times mistaken for shin splints or stress fractures. Imaging is normal. There's nothing you can see on an x-ray or an MRI, um, but it's very classic. It's in uh, a lot of times you see it in females, especially soccer players and volleyball players, um, but I've seen it in other sports as well and just in runners where it's usually 5 to 10, maybe 15 minutes into the workout. It starts to hurt predictably. They know that when I hit mile one and a half or mile three or whatever the number is, that's when it starts to hurt. And when I sit down, it hurts for 20 or 30 minutes afterwards, and it's gone. And that's that's the typical presentation for exertional compartment syndrome. That's a harder one because you can't stretch those compartments out. You can stretch the muscles. You can uh, be a little more gradual with your activity. Um, and a lot of people actually, you know, just quit playing sports. And, uh, they, man, I, these sense plants have just killed me for years and years. I can't get better. And it wasn't chin splints all along. And so uh, that is one where we actually do perform a surgery. Um, rare to do it, rare to need to do it, but it um, you basically release that, um, uh, that tissue or that space around the compartment, the uh, tissue that creates the tightness. And uh, a few small incisions, two on each side of the leg, or you can do one big one on each side of the leg and basically open up or unzip that wrap around the muscles. And it's very successful. Um, it's just rare. It's a rare problem, and it's a, it's a rare problem to uh, have to go into surgery for. Um, but it is, it is something that uh, people should think about when they think they have a stress fracture, think they have a shin splint. Well, hopefully you uh, you get back to actual sports-related uh, injuries here soon because it means we, uh, <laughs> we we do have sports. But, again, Special Orthopedic Group Oxford and Tupelo, you can find out more at 662-767-4200 or com. Dr. Mathis, appreciate the time this week. Thank you.
Thanks to Neil for doing that portion of the show there with uh, the guys from Blue Delta. And, of course, thanks to uh, Blue Delta for everything they're doing for the community, for the state, for uh, trying to do their part in this uh, this COVID, COVID-19 situation. And then when they get back to making jeans, everything that they do for us as well. So appreciate those guys. Yeah, you know, you mentioned the NFL draft. And I, I said this on the hand raised guys Thursday night. I was not... I was not one of these sports fans who's been dying for it all week. I wasn't going to plan my meals and pop the popcorn and be ready to go. I I knew we were going to do a show on Thursday night, so I knew we would see a good bit of it. I knew I would react to some of the picks. And I got to this weird spot where I sort of just trust the Saints, um, which is really weird. That's not a good – that's not a place I'm, I'm, I'm comfortable with or I'm used to. But for the most part, I trust them from a draft standpoint. And I got really excited when they took the linebacker um, in the middle rounds. And then the only other time that I was kind of like, whatever, is they, they traded like crazy to get Troutman the tight end. And I thought, okay, that's a little weird. And then when you trade and give up things to get Tommy Stevens in the seventh round, I, I got like an instant migraine. Like it just immediately was like, oh my God, what are we doing? I'm, I, I have so many issues right now as this is, uh, as this is playing out because it's, it's, it's almost like you got, you found a Taysom Hill clone. That's like a copy of a copy. And I, I don't need two of them. I've got one as it is. But they kind of redeemed themselves. The Jameis Winston thing, everybody's made fun of it. But he gets to rehab his quarterback situation, if you will. It's not really image, just quarterback situation in New Orleans. He gets to be tutored a little bit by Sean Payton, by Drew Brees. He's following sort of the Teddy Bridgewater model. And now, look, I don't love it anywhere near like I love the Teddy Bridgewater thing. I was all about that. I'm not – this is not that. But – He's a he's a former first first overall pick. He's obviously got talent. He's not the worst backup in the world. And what it does is is as much as it drives me crazy, it allows Peyton to use Taysom Hill however he wants to use him because he's not worried about hurting his backup quarterback. Because if you didn't have Jameis or didn't have a competent person that you felt like you could put in the game, suddenly every time Hill touches the ball, you have a problem. So. Jameis gives security there, and then if it works out like they want it to work out, they're going to get some comp pick stuff later on, and it's it, you're, you're, it's not like you're going to lose spots for what you did to make that happen. So I think I think overall it's a pretty good deal. I'm I'm actually semi excited about is as, as excited as I can be for what a backup situation would be at quarterback for the Saints this year. I mean, now you think that they could probably just have Alvin Kamara, Tommy Stevens. And Taysom Hill all in the backfield at the same time. Oh, please. Please. And, please. and you know. Look, I'm still just... going to throw things across the room every time they take Drew Brees out of a game and give <laughs> Taysom, Taysom Hill the football. Like, I, I, he's growing on me, and I know that he's incredibly valuable in tons of ways, but it still has a little bit of this Robert Kimdichie, Jeremy Liggins playing quarterback thing. I'm like, hey, we got number nine. Mm-hmm. Let's just let him play quarterback. He's the quarterback. Let him do it, and then we'll – We'll go from there. I, every time Hill throws a pass, even as he completes it, I, I get a little freaked out. I just don't like it. I, 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 can't, I, never, I can't get there. Look, I, I, jo- I say this all the time. You can't trust anybody who texts you with green text bubbles. I also cannot trust anyone who thinks that Taysom Hill could be a franchise quarterback. I just don't see it. He's very similar know. to Steve Young, the Saints organization will tell you. Oh, God. Um, <laughs> he can't throw the ball. Can't throw the ball downfield. I just, His deep throws are almost always underthrown. They get caught yeah. a lot, but they're almost all underthrown. I mean, I could probably complete a lot of stuff to Michael Thomas too. Um, I, w- I would really like to have given Michael Thomas Thomas some help in, in, yeah. in, in this draft. W- that would have been kind of nice. 
I did like Zach Bond. I did like that pickup. I mean, anytime you draft a linebacker from Wisconsin, it's probably going to pay off. Yeah, it's fine. Uh, Jim Leonard's defense is ridiculous. And um, I'm looking at the athletic. Uh, they ranked the draft classes, and he was up there as one of the biggest steals of the draft. Um, and you mentioned Jeremy Liggins just now. And if we want to transition and talk Titans here, um, <laughs> did you see the tweet that was going around of Isaiah Wilson playing quarterback in high school? I did not, no. 350 pounds in the uh, Wildcat. Did it work? Uh, yeah, okay. it worked. I don't, the, not many people uh, in the uh, New York high school football uh, <laughs> league that he was in were trying to tackle him. Um, but yeah, I the and we'll keep it short because I don't. I mean, I don't know. We have some Titans fans on the board, but um, I thought that I was going to learn a lot about what this team is going to look like next season. The way they drafted in terms of are they going to go defense first or are they going to go offense because I was like, okay, if they take an offensive lineman, because you got to replace Conklin, he's going to the Browns. You got to get somebody on the other side to protect Tannehill. You've got Lawan on the left side. Um, now, which Chase, this wouldn't be a problem if they had just drafted Tunsil, yeah. and then you'd have Tunsil on the left side and Lawan on the right. But they took Isaiah Wilson first, and I thought that that was pretty much a clear cut sign that they're going all out for Jadavian Clowney right now. Um, there's been some reports left and right that they are getting close to locking things up. I think the physical is what's holding things up because of obviously people can't really travel right now. Mm-hmm. Um, but I like the Christian Fulton pick. I think he's a really talented defensive back and they got to get some length over there. Cause Adoree Jackson as fast as he is and as talented and athletic as he is, he's just not big enough to really compete on an Island. And for whatever reason, they continue to put him on an Island instead of playing him as a nickel corner or just letting him return kicks. I don't understand that. But um, the real thing that I'm pumped about is that the Titans took Cole McDonald. And I don't know how familiar you are with Mr. McDonald. Um, but Chase, when I say when that jersey goes on sale, I'm going to get it. I'm talking record record speed to the team store to get that. I asked Neil this on Thursday. How many jerseys do you have? Uh, so I counted them a couple months ago. I think I'm at 24 now. It's that many? Yeah. It became a thing a couple years ago where I just started collecting uh. them. Um, just kind of because for the longest time, I I never really had because I've always been a Titans fan, but I've never been super passionate until I started until I moved to Nashville. And so I've always been a college football guy first. So I never really followed the NFL. So I would just kind of get different players that I that I liked or just kind of random, unique jerseys here and there. But, uh, but yeah, I started buying a bunch. Um, the AliExpress kind of went by the wayside and then started hitting up dhgate.com. And they have some really legit, actual, pretty close to uh, hmm. official replica jerseys. And then um, got the AJ Titans one. I got an official. I got him and D, him and DK. I, I got from real sites. Oh, you got both uh, of them. Yeah, I wanted the color rush for DK, but I could not find an official color rush DK jersey anywhere. They were all bootleg sites, and I, I wanted to go legit. So yeah, I've got the, I've got you know, got a couple of hockey, got some, got a throwback Preds. Um, what? What makes you like? What is the occasion where you wear a jersey that's not like your favorite team? 
Uh, I mean, most of the time it's just like being ironic or just, you know, trying to, I, I guess, revert back to my younger, okay. younger days, my younger self now that I'm full on dad. Um, so I don't know. I mean, I'll wear them, you know, just goofing off. Like if we're, when we went to waste management, I wore them. Like I wore my DK one day and, uh, wore an AJ Jersey when I was out running around when we were going out in town. I mean, just, you know, I'll do that. I'll, I'll wear them, you know, just when we're kind of goofing off, I wear them when we're watching games. I mean, the, I will say a, a sweater going to a, a hockey game is, is, is essential. I don't know how many live hockey games you've been to, but it does. Yeah. I mean, you, you don't think about it, but it gets cold in there because you're in an arena that has a huge thing of ice in it. Um, so I mean, you know, sweatshirt, hooded sweatshirt under a hockey jersey is a pretty solid move, and it's kind of a thing with hockey fans. Like you go to a Preds game or just any hockey game, and everybody's got a jersey on. That's a that, it's a pro sports thing. Absolutely, in yeah. general, and it's I've just got, a pro sports thing. Yeah. I've got some. I've got some random college ones. Like I've got a, uh, I got a Georgetown Iverson jersey. Um, some of my favorites are uh, my high school ones. I've got. I finally found a Treadwell High School Penny Hardaway jersey. That uh, is pretty nice. And then I've got the uh, St. Vincent St. Mary's LeBron, of course. Mm. So um, I don't know. Now have it. Have it pulled the trigger on a Laney high school for, for Jordan since last dance is on right now. But, but yeah, I don't know. It's just that kind of one, a thing. That one doesn't feel it's cool because it's Jordan for some reason. Like, I, I feel like for something about that is almost kind of trying too hard. The other ones I really, really yeah. like, but I don't know. Something about that one just, just not as much. Yeah. I don't know. The, I'm, I'm, the, I mean, I, I have a lower Marion Kobe, which is really cool. Obviously, posthumously now unfortunately but um i wore that one a lot and that that gets a lot of respect um i'll tell you what the the one time that i wore a jersey when i got a ton of you know really good responses really good you know people just random high fives in public was two years ago at waste management i wore a baker mayfield jersey and it was right after his rookie year when he kind of burst onto the scene and man i probably gave out close to a hundred high fives or pounds I mean, just like we were just walking around. There'd just be random people that would just yell out, you know, Baker or, you know, start barking like a dog or something. And you know, I'd have to, you know, break a few people's hearts here and there and be like, hey, I'm not a Browns fan. I just thought it was cool to get a Baker jersey. Um, so. Do you still, we haven't talked about this in two weeks. Uh, NASCAR is trying to get going. Do you expect NASCAR and golf to start on their proposed times and us at least get some type of sports back? I think so. Neil and I talked about it. I think golf especially could come back. And we talked about it actually on the phone <clears throat> on the phone a couple days ago. I think golf is is one that can absolutely go without fans. And NASCAR too. I mean, it's it'll be kind of a weird thing to have either limited fans or no fans, but you can certainly just have people stay at home and watch NASCAR on TV. Um, and like y'all have talked about on the show, it's, it's something that people need to cheer for because the pro sports have to come back first. There's no way that college is going to take that plunge without pro sports doing it first. And you absolutely need to cheer for the PGA tour to come back and for NASCAR to come back. And that's something that 
I, I think is going to come back without a hitch. I don't know your thoughts on it. I mean, it's what in June, July. Mm-hmm. Yeah, I think I think that's fine. I mean, I think that timeline's fine. I mean, I think they're starting to do some kind of slow rollouts to getting back to some semblance of normalcy here and there. Uh, you know, a soft opening, if you will, with. Uh, I think some businesses are going to open back up, you know, half capacity or, you know, limited capacity here and there. And um, I don't know. I It's hard because I mean, I'm not a doctor and there's no way I can really pass judgment on what people are doing, if it's right or wrong. But I think at some point the country is going to need for things to kind of start to slowly get back to normal, as as weird as that might sound with with how people really don't know you know, a hundred percent, Hey, this is what's causing COVID-19. This is why people are dying. I mean, people don't really know for, for certain yet, but I don't know. I, maybe that's, maybe that's all face. Maybe I'm, I'm a jerk for saying that, but I think that at some point you're going to have to, I wouldn't say roll the dice, but you're going to have to start to slowly get things back to normal. Um, and not just, not just, you know, I know this is a sports podcast, but I mean, just for you know, life. the sake of yeah. economy, yeah, life, everything. I mean, it's people need to work, and people are, you know, unfortunately, some people just, you know, either lost their jobs or they don't have a job right now because their their industry is shut down. I mean, I have a lot of good friends that work in the restaurant biz, and you know, they're really struggling right now. So it's it's something that, uh, just you know, for the sake of you know, peace and peace in mind of you know, the people around you, the safety, you know, you want that first and foremost, but you know, you want things to go back to normal so people can start working again and can uh you know make a living may 16th actually is the uh the de- the first date on the nascar schedule that has not been oh, postponed wow. or uh, to be determined the nascar all-star open and the nascar all-star race saturday may 16th at charlotte and then uh a week after that charlotte motor speedway the coca-cola 600 is uh is there on the go. schedule. So as I looked at Less that, that's, uh, yeah, that's where that is. So we'll see. And then uh, golf is June 11th, I believe, is the date for that. Um, first four tournaments without fans, then they're kind of going from there, following that uh, that point. So anyway, we'll uh, we'll close there. Appreciate Neil talking to uh, the guys from Blue Delta. Zach and I carrying you the rest of the way on this one. We got some good guests as the week moves on. Plenty of podcasts on the MPW Digital Network for your uh, for your listening pleasure. And we'll talk to you again really soon.